Good morning. So I am not going to be in Genesis this morning. I'm going to be uh, in a few different places. Um, and I'll explain in just a second. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for PCBC. Uh, Lord, I, I love this place. I love these people. Um, I am thankful to you. The depths of that gratitude, Lord, runs deep. I, I am very, very grateful to you for this church family. And I pray for your encouragement to them, giving them fresh courage today, Father, and fresh joy in you. And I pray that this message would be beneficial. And Lord, um, just bless the future of PCBC, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the church. I love PCBC. Yeah, I just said that. Um, but I love the church in general. I love the body of Christ. But the expression of the body of Christ is what I've spent so much time with. I was a church kid, have been a church kid. I have zero memory of a church-free life. Every memory I have goes back to being there with the body of Christ, Sunday in, Sunday out. It's a rich, rich blessing, and I don't take that lightly. I see that as God's kindness and grace. Church people are my people. Um, and in that, I remember as a little boy finding my niche. It's right here. It's in the presence of Christians my brothers and my sisters in the Lord Jesus. I will never forget a particular Sunday where I, I was an usher from like 17 to 20 or something like that, and standing in the back, and everybody was singing, and I'm standing back there, you would passed out the Boltons and visit with people and, and all the stuff that usher people do, and um, it was so hard to hold back the tears because... I knew, because at that point I knew I wanted to go serve as a pastor, I knew I'm going to leave him. These are, these are parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, some of the closest relationships of my life, and that tie that was binding was Jesus. And just thinking, I have to leave this body. Um... And, and then we did, and the Lord blessed it, and, you know, it was, it was fine. It, it is fine. Now, we're here with you, and we have joy inexpressible to be here with you. I mean that wholeheartedly. But something deep inside me is connected to the body of Christ. I am committed to you. Now, what's interesting about that is that we are living in one of the most non-committal phases of the church in this country that has ever existed. Where the gathering of the body of Christ and the joining of the body of Christ has become an option and not a deep-seated, deep-rooted commitment. <clears throat> that breaks my heart. But at the same time, it also encourages me that, man, what a time to be in the mix, right? 
scary and exciting simultaneously. All right, Lord, here we are. This is the time you've destined for us to be in the body of Christ, to stand for Christ as a local church. Then let us be counted. We want to be committed. This morning I'm preaching on biblical church membership. Um, And as I unfold what I unfold, I hope, my desire at least, is that you'd understand why I'm doing this and why I'm preaching on biblical church membership. Number one, because all three elders told me, you better do that, and so I'm doing it. And I was in full agreement with my brothers. So uh, as a membership class is coming up, we thought, you know, it would be be a, a godly thing, a wise thing, and a right thing to share what we're saying when we say biblical church membership. There's a lot of hang-ups on this question, uh, a mountain of them. Uh, And I understand that, and I know stepping into this uh, sermon, this context, this um, topic, uh, is one that can be tricky. I know that deeper than you may understand how much I know that. But nonetheless, um, what is it, fools rush in, something like that? So here we go. (laughs) Uh, number one is church, the word church, ecclesia, the called out ones. As you read in your New Testament, you will see this word church all over the place. Um, it is used uh, consistently. This word simply means those who are called out, or a gathering of the summoned ones. A gathering of the summoned ones, those who have been called out that gather together. This is used primarily in two ways throughout the scripture. Now, let me just say this right off the bat. This is going to feel a little bit more like maybe perhaps a little bit of a classroom feel, but that's because the content, I want to communicate this as clear as I can, and so I'm sticking to my notes tightly today. I don't apologize for that. It's too important. I'm not playing games. Um, I really want to focus in on what I'm saying I always do, but I'm pretty dependent on my notes this morning. The first way you see church used is the universal church or the invisible church. Uh, This is made up of all believers throughout time, every single Christian throughout time, made up of only true believers that have been born again by the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration. The universal church is is a, is a gathering of absolutely every single believer. So Jonathan Edwards, Dan Mason, my grandfather, Lord willing, perhaps my great-great-grandkids, all those people, and all the Old Testament saints, every last person justified by faith are the people of God. This is the universal church. All those that will be in heaven is kind of makes it simple for me. Joined by faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. Now, I'm just going to give you a few scriptures. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You can do this on your own. But Matthew 18, 18, this is the passage on church discipline where if they don't listen to the two or three that come, then take it before the church. Um, Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, 525, Acts 2, 4, 7. I made a mistake on Matthew 18. That is not, um, that, that verse wasn't supposed to be in there. That's for another part. But Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, chapter 5, verses 25, and Acts 2, 47. 
you will hear the word church, and the context that it's being used in those contexts is speaking to the universal church, when people are added to the church in the sense of the full body of Christ. Or the passage that Mark just read for us where Jesus is the head of the church. That speaks of the universal, all believers, and you see that. Now what's fascinating to me, and I remember this being pointed out years ago, somebody said, it's interesting, the primary use of that word, ecclesia, in the New Testament is in reference to the local church, to the church that is in Ephesus, to the church that is in Corinth to the church that is in your household. This should be done in the church. You see these, this language used primarily in your New Testament, that this word is used of the local assembly. Now we use, uh, unfortunately, we make a huge mistake in our culture where we say that we're going to be meeting at the church. What do we mean? So, <clears throat> really quick, that's wrong and really bad. Um, the, the use in the New Testament is never ever, ever the building. This is not the church. That's why I always find it interesting. People say, well, we're going to be closing churches. Good luck. That's not going to happen. They're trying that in foreign countries right now, and you know what they do? They gather, and they continue to gather. You can't stop them from gathering. This is not the church. Biblically speaking, you are the church. You are the church of Jesus Christ. Now, As we come to the New Testament, what we see is now the local or visible church. So you got the universal church, the church in the sense of all believers for all time. And then you have the local church, which you could put, I like Roger's term, the expression of the body of Christ in that local place. Okay, so Pacific Coast Bible Church would be an expression of the universal church in Pacific City. Um, It would be really tricky to meet with Jonathan Edwards this morning for church. Uh, It would be impossible, kind of. I mean, with Zoom now, I suppose, you could gather with folks in Kenya this morning for church, but they're gathering for church. We're gathering for church. Part of the universal church, but part of two different local assemblies. This is not man's design. This is the design of Almighty God. As you see the, the church develop in the book of Acts and then throughout the New Testament, you see local assemblies begin to develop with their own leadership, so on and so forth. It's made up of, and here's the tricky part, okay? The local church is made up of believers and unbelievers. Now, when I say made up of, what I mean by that is the universal church, what makes it the universal church is that it is all believers. But in the local assembly, you can have false converts, unbelievers among the believers, uh, you, can, you can see this in the New Testament. You can see this in our own day. I'm sure many of you have seen people who are among the body of Christ fall away, show themselves to not be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. So made up of believers and unbelievers. Number two, it's a group of professing Christians that meet in a certain geographical location and expression of the universal church. In, in Philippians 1.1, That letter is written to the elders, the deacons, and the congregation. This is giving a layout of the body of Christ in how that letter is written. To the elders, to the deacons, and to the body there in Philippi. The majority of the New Testament's usage of the word is in reference to this local assembly. It does not mean, and this is why we've got to be careful, we say, well, there's so many churches. Well, 
in a sense, I know what's being communicated in there. My dad and I would go back and forth on that all the time where he would he'd say, there's only one church. I said, I know. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. It's one church, one universal church. All those who are saved will be in heaven for all eternity. But there's different expressions all over the place, and you can make that case, I think, blindfolded from the New Testament. It's crystal clear that you have many different local assemblies with their own leadership, so on and so forth. So how does one join the universal church? Justification by faith and by faith alone. Justification by faith and by faith alone. You are a part of the body of Christ universally at conversion. You are brought into the family. And how do you join a local church? Well, let me first say what it's not. This is helpful for me. At times, in order to come to, I guess, a conclusion and kind of where I, where I feel comfortable to hang my hat, I need to know, okay, but what don't I believe, right? Here's what, local mem- or what membership of a local church is not. This is not a method derived by man in order to get more money from, quote-unquote, the members. Now, here's the thing. There's some humor to what I'm saying in this list, It's only humorous because you've probably seen it, maybe experienced it. I was talking to a friend, this is a number of months ago, and they made reference to, they were actually asked before they joined a church um, what percentage they planned on giving. Now, maybe you've come in contact with that. Maybe you wouldn't be put off by that. The Lord loves a begrudged giver. You know that verse, right? (laughs) All right, number two. A method derived by man in order to make a class system between people, the haves and have-nots. That is not why this exists. A method, number three, a method derived by man in order to satisfy the sinful desire in certain leaders for power over other people. Now, the tricky part for that, beloved, is that how much have you seen that? How many times have you seen that? How, How many churches where membership has been pressed hard for the purpose of power, power trips, power struggles. Really quick, raise your hand if you've ever come in contact with with it or with anybody who's been involved in a church split over power struggle. Okay, and the rest of you, let's talk afterwards about your lying out there. No, I'm just kidding. It's all too common, right? It's all too common where you see a desire for power, an unhealthy, ungodly desire for power, and so let's get them to be deeply committed so that way we can be in charge over somebody. Terrible. Number four, a method method derived by man in order to develop a group of people ready and willing to follow one particular leader. This can usually, this is what happens with cults. We have one particular charismatic type leader and let's make sure that you have your commitment to him. And what you see quite often is you say, where's your loyalty? Where's your commitment to him? And if the him is not Jesus, beware. Beware. Where am I at? One, two, three, four. Number five, a method derived by man in order to shape a group of people into a form of godliness, but really just getting them to conform to the opinions of leadership rather than true biblical Christianity. You see this in primarily like huge legalistic circles where 
there's a particular group and they have a list of what needs to be done. The list is not found in the word. The list has nothing to do with the word. They like it that way, and so you will meet that way. You will dress this way. You will watch these particular shows. You'll carry this particular translation of the Bible. You will fill in the blank. And you search the word, and you go, man, guys, I'm just, I just not seeing any of that. I'm not seeing those principles that you say we have to hold to. Well, then you shouldn't be here. Well, maybe you shouldn't be there. But that's another reason. So as you look at these reasons, some of these may have hit home for you. Perhaps, I, I realize that this is not, for many of you, if not all of you, this isn't the first church you've attended or the first church some of you have been members in. I don't know what your experiences are, how ugly they are, or how sweet they are. You know, I don't want to be Captain Negative. Perhaps you've had wonderful um, experiences with with church leadership and membership and being a part and committed to a local church. I have. I, I honestly have. My, my past and what I've enjoyed has been sweet, very, very sweet. Uh, and I don't just mean as a pastor, but I mean as, as just a, a, as a church member, as a church attender. It's been very, very sweet to be under godly people and to serve in a local community. So here's my definition of membership to a local church. And it's wordy. Surprise, surprise. Here we go. An individual Christian communicates his or her commitment to a local church body and places themselves under the care and leadership of the leadership's care. They, they willingly, joyfully place themselves under the care and leadership of the leadership's care. This involves agreement with the doctrinal statement, the constitution, and bylaws of that local assembly. A church member is willing to take an active role in the life of the church family. A member is communicating their desire to be held accountable as well as hold others accountable to seek to walk in Christ-likeness. Membership of a local church is a communication of agreement and commitment. Now, that last statement is kind of a summary, okay? Local church membership is a communication of agreement and commitment. The key word is, com is, um, is uh, <laughs> yeah, good work, Dan, is communication. Having a tough time communicating about communication. <clears throat> the key word is communication. At the very core of church membership, this is why it's tricky when we make reference to formal church membership. I don't like the title, but, but nonetheless, it, it works. Is that really at the heart of this is a communication from a, a person to a local body. And a communication of a local body to a person. At the very core, communication is the point of biblical church membership. Let me uh, walk through this list. Biblical warrant for church membership. Membership is taught implicitly in Scripture. Membership is taught implicitly in Scripture. Here is what I have heard by numerous people who balk the idea of membership to a local church. And it's very simple. They just say, show me a verse. Show me a verse. I've heard this. I've heard this from dear, precious family members. I've heard this from people in church. Show me a verse. And I've gotten just a... Just a of cynicism going on these days where I just ask them, okay, really quick, you, you hold to the Trinity, right? Yes, I do. Show me a verse. Show me a verse. 
You don't, it doesn't work that way. You know how many doctrines you hold to by looking at the weight of all of the Scripture? It, it, it's pretty cheap, in my opinion, when the argument is simply, you don't have one proof text to show me. Well, I'm sorry, dear brothers and sisters, I don't. Not only that, I get, really, get gun-shy around proof texting because I want to know what does the weight of the New Testament teach. I hold to the doctrine of the Trinity. With all my heart, I hold to the doctrine of the Trinity because the weight of the entirety of the Bible pushes me to the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I can't show you one verse that says, look right here, this, this spells it out with great clarity. See that one verse? Good, now we're done. Number one, I get very nervous when somebody shows me one verse and makes their argument. I'd like to hear what the weight of the Bible has to say about that. I hold to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I hold to salvation by grace through faith. I hold to the doctrine of the Trinity. I hold to Jesus being fully God and fully man because of what the whole says. Not because somebody gave me one verse and they thought they won the day. Bible study doesn't work like that. I want the weight of the word to show that. All right, so with that, I believe this is taught implicitly in Scripture. The weight of the New Testament leads us to some form, some practice of a quote-unquote biblical church membership to a local church. So here's a series of questions regarding the function of certain relationships within the local church. It leaves us with this practice. And here's the, con- here's the uh, relationship lines, all right? Follow me on this. Leadership to congregation. Congregation to leadership. And congregation to congregation. Leadership to congregation. Congregation to leadership. And congregation to congregation. The communication lines that are being done in church membership are these lines. Something from the leaders communicated to the congregation, something from the congregation communicated to the leaders, and something from the congregation communicated to the congregation. Now, I want you to follow with me. I'm going to bring you to three passages of Scripture. There's more, but I'm just going to track these three for right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That was one of the longest periods before we actually got to the Bible. And I, <laughs> I do not apologize because it takes a little bit to set this up. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. I'm not going to do comment on these three verses because they're, they're coming together. But just listen to what the Scripture says in regards to the relationship. 1 Thessalonians 5. 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Listen again, in reference to the leaders in the church, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. This is where we get this idea of overseer is in your New Testament. They are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Some translations say teach you. In the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Um, 
1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Listen very carefully to these three passages. I think they're ones that maybe don't get hit enough. 1 Peter 5.1 So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I love, I love verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, you could translate that the senior pastor, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So I exhort the elders among you that you would lead in this way with an eye to the reality that Christ, the one who purchased this bride, is coming back. No pastor is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. Myself and Dennis and Raj and Mitch, we are under shepherds. We are not the shepherd. We don't how do I put this? We, we, don't, we don't own this flock. We don't own you. You are owned. We are owned by Jesus Christ. He is the head of Pacific Coast Bible Church. And he has saw fit to allow under-shepherds to serve below him in caring for the flock that we are among. It is... I was trying to think of a really good, just robust word, and all I got is scary, but it is scary. It is. It's scary being a pastor. Because in a sense I answer to you, but you're not my biggest fear. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. You will be held with a stricter accountability by the Lord. We answer to Christ for how we lead you and treat you. That is a weight I feel more and more and more. That Christ will say, Dan, how, how did you lead in that moment? When you felt irritated, when you didn't get enough sleep, when you felt a little cocky, how did you lead? Did you serve? Or was it about you? How'd you win that argument, Dan? How'd you bring that before that person? How did you bring your own complaint to your own elders? How'd you do it? Did you lead well? You guys, that, that reality is so deep and heavy upon my soul. And it should be. It should be. Let me show you a passage that gets me close to quitting. <laughs> Go to Hebrews chapter 13. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now catch this. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. This is to you, congregation. You let the elders do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I'm not going to expound this text so much, but just catch what that is saying, that these leaders, these elders, these folks who are looking over your soul, they do that because they are those who will give an account, as those who will give an account for the souls of those people put in their charge. And then he flips it around and goes, therefore, so you congregation, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let it be a a good thing, a sweet thing. In a perfect world, in a perfect church where everything works well, this this is the model. Now, I realize, you guys, all these passages that I'm reading, you can go, yeah, but Dan, you screwed up here, here, and here. I know. I know. It's a fallen world. You've got a young pastor. I I get all of that, but beloved, do you see we can't judge the model by the mistakes? We need to come to the Word and say, Lord, what do you say should be? And then by your grace, let us fit what should be and have grace for each other where we fall short. Have I pastored with groaning? Let me take it another verse. No. <laughs> sure, sure. And, you know, in that moment, you can feel justified, and later that afternoon, you go, Lord, that was my sin. I was wrong. I, was, I had no compassion. I felt selfish in the moment. Only one cup of coffee that day, you know, all those silly things. But the reality is, this is the model that the Lord calls for his church. Now, there's numerous other passages. You could go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You could go to Titus chapter 2. And you look at the qualifications of the elders. You look at the book of Acts where they appointed elders to all these local churches. Paul tells Titus, the reason I sent you there was for the purpose of appointing elders in each local church. Elders... Leadership, congregation, congregation. Okay, so here's a series of questions I have for you according to the passages that we just looked at. Number one, your leaders. How do you know who your leaders are? Is every single pastor one of your leaders? Are they watching over your soul? Is John MacArthur your pastor? Is he one who gives an account for your soul? He has no idea what your name is. And I just picked John by random. You could throw any pastor in there who has no idea who you are, he doesn't know your name, and you say, well, he's my pastor. No, he's not. He's never even met you. This is where it's getting ridiculous in our world where folks would much rather just skip gathering with the body of Christ and just take in via their computer. Sorry. It's not in the Word. And that's not some preacher talk. I'm saying, beloved, that's not in the Word. There are so many one another passages in the New Testament that have been completely obliterated from so many lives. 
How do you know who your leaders are? Number two, how do you submit to them if you've never communicated your desires to do so? Number three, how does someone obey the commands of the New Testament in regards to leadership if they have no set of elders in their life? So this is congregation to leadership, this line of communication. You read these passages, and the, the word I would put out there in reference to the body of Christ, to the leaders of that local church, is the word intimacy. They know them, and they know them well. And they're in a process, they're progressively getting to know them better. This is happening progressively. But when you read these passages and you hear about submit to those who rule over you, give honor to those who labor in preaching and teaching, these kinds of texts in the New Testament, the first question I have is, how do you know who that set of leaders are? You have to answer that. And if you say, I don't have any leaders, well, then you've got a huge problem with your Bible. And if you say, every person I sit under their teaching is my leader, how are you giving an account for that? That doesn't make any sense, New Testament, biblically. So, number, number the, the second one is leadership to congregation. So, the idea is the congregation is expressing to the leadership of that church, we wish to be under your care. We want to be under your care. We'll submit to your leadership. That's being communicated. That's what a membership class is about, beloved, is that you are communicating to that local church, I wish to be a part. I wish to be here. I wish for you to be my leader. Second one, leadership to congregation. Who is under their charge? This, this strikes home for me. So there's a number of you here this morning who are visitors. Never laid eyes on you. I don't know your name. Uh, you may not know mine. I am not giving an account for your soul. I don't even know your name. And so at some point, when you hear the commands on the elders of a local church those who give an account to shepherd the flock of God, a question has to be answered among that body of elders. Who's the flock that we're in charge of? You, for those of you who are a part of this local church, my goodness, you guys see how many visitors we see in a year? So what? Everybody that walks in, I go, man, i got to give an account for whatever his name is. I mean, good night. Are you kidding? Resignation is signed. I'm out of here. There's no, there's no way, beloved. There's no way. And so what happens is there is a communication between the, uh, uh, the body of Christ to the leaders. And then there's a communication of the leaders to the body. Whose souls are they accounting for is a massive question that I have in Hebrews 13, 17. Who has invited them to shepherd care and confront them? Do I just walk up? We have somebody visit for three weeks, and I walk up, and I say, I need to confront you about this. We need to talk about this, so on and so forth. Well, who are you? How do you know? Where'd you come from? There's, there, there's no relationship going on here. There's an invitation from the congregation to the leaders. Number four, how can the elders of a local church know who they are called to shepherd if there is no form of communication from the individuals professing, individual professing believers that they want to be under them in the Lord? Where folks in the congregation say, I believe with all my heart uh, what you guys are, are teaching here. I want to be a part of this local church. I want to commit. So you have congregation to leadership, 
and you have leadership to congregation, and now you have congregation to congregation. Remember, this is all under the guise of biblical church membership is a high level of commitment, and you're communicating. Number one, how are spiritual gifts utilized apart from a local church? My spiritual giftings do not affect brothers meeting in Lodwar, Kenya this morning. In the sense of the gifts that I have that God has given me that are being utilized, Lord willing, in this pulpit this morning, does not touch them. And theirs don't touch me. This is where that happens. The one another's, it's good to know the name of the one another that you are blessing, that you love, that you're supporting. And so within the tight group, within the group of a congregation is where those gifts are expressed. Now, don't mishear me on this. I'm not saying those gifts don't bless other believers outside of your local church. Absolutely. I'm just saying as a norm, week in, week out, the majority of your gifts, of the gifts of the body you will bless is the congregation that you're a part of. Number two, the Bible has no concept of a Christian who is a lone ranger with no connection to the local church. Again, I can be misrepresented very easily on this point because you're going, so wait a minute, Dan, you're saying nobody can be saved unless they go to church? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. No, I didn't say that at all. I don't believe that whatsoever. What I'm saying is the New Testament does not give us a picture of somebody who gets saved and then goes, man, I don't want anything to do with those Christians. That's not in your Bible. You won't find that. What you find in the Scripture is when somebody's born again, they hunt for um, fellowship with the body of Christ. Don't you find it fascinating that when people come to Christ in a, in a land where they are heavily persecuted, they meet underground? You can't keep them away from each other. All you need is a whole bunch of freedoms and a bunch of toys to break the church apart. But you persecute them, and they're truly born again. You cannot keep them from each other when they have just a little scrap, a little piece of a page of the Bible, and they meet underground in the dark, and they go, I need you two to watch the windows just in case if law enforcement were to come up. I need you to watch that, you know, give us some sort of warning so we can figure out what to do. All right, let's get back to Romans. We don't know what that's like. We haven't tasted that. Perhaps will at some point. But my goodness, beloved, just look at the persecuted church and look at how you cannot drag them from one another. It is embedded in us. God has designed us to be community in Christ. No lone ranger. We are the body. We are the body. Number three, how does the congregation know who has requested accountability, love, care, etc. without membership. Number four, when you become a church member, who are you committing to? These are just a series of questions, I think, implicitly in the New Testament where you have to answer. How do the elders know? How does the congregation know? How does the congregation know? Is that person committed? Is that person a part of that body? How do you know? Because they walk in the building. That is not the answer. That is not the answer. There has to be communication. Here's another point, more sticky one, just for fun. Church discipline. Uh, this is where Matthew 18 is. So Matthew, I'm going to give you the three passages for you to look at, uh, at on, your, on your own. Matthew 18, 15 to 20, 1 Corinthians 5, 11 to 13, and 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. Matthew 18, 15 to 20, 1 Corinthians 5, 11 to 13, 
2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. Church discipline is biblical, is right, and should be practiced. The tricky part is most of us in our culture, when we hear church discipline, we only have the category of taking somebody before the church and saying, this person is unrepentant and sinful, therefore they're being excommunicated from this church. So what I get asked often is, does this church practice church discipline? Yeah. Wow. How many people do you bring up before the body? I haven't. Because church discipline is sometimes as simple as meeting over a cup of coffee and saying, this is uncomfy, but I just need to point this out to you. And, and there's repentance, and it's beautiful. I've seen that, you guys. I have seen that. But who do you practice church discipline with? Picture this. What if somebody was under church discipline at PCBC this morning, and everybody in this room who's visiting this morning, I'd say, I need to know if you're casting your vote against this individual. What's the first question? What's his name? And what do you do? It doesn't work that way. See what I'm saying? You have to have some kind of identification of who is this? Who is practicing church discipline and who has invited church discipline to be practiced in their life? Not only that, we're told in 1 Corinthians that a man was put out of the church. How do you get put out of the church? You take away their salvation? No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. There's a removal from fellowship from that particular local assembly. They were put out of the church. 1 Corinthians 5, I encourage you to read that. Um, where am I at? When you've reached the third level of Matthew 18, who is, quote-unquote, the church? This was the point that I, mistaked, or I made a mistake with earlier. Who is the church that you take them in front of? Remember, it says if they don't listen to the first one, they don't listen to the second one where you went with a few. It says take them before the church. So am I going to broadcast that Zoom for all believers to see everywhere? No, that's not what's being communicated. What's being communicated is the local assembly that they are a part of. Who has the right to be involved in such serious business? The visitor that Sunday? I made that point earlier. Let that, let that strike. Who's involved in that? The sticky part is that in our culture, beloved, we don't even have the category of church discipline anymore. Now, this, the scriptures do not lay out just exactly how they did membership in the New Testament, in the sense of the logistics. So we're striving, elders and leaders in this church, we're striving to walk in a biblical manner at PCBC. But I do not see how a local church can function apart from some form of church membership. There must be some communication from the, the body, individuals in the body telling the elders, we wish to be under the leadership of this church and we are in agreement with what this church believes and the direction it's going. And the elders communicate, we want to give our love and care and accountability to you. And then the new members to the present members communicating their commitment, their desire to be held accountable, and that they are part of this body. I was very committed to Amber on September 3rd, 2005. And then I married her on the 5th. Why, Dan? You're already committed. I wanted everybody to know my level of commitment. 
I want to, I want to scream to the whole world, this one's mine. And I think that that's a beautiful illustration of somebody saying, this is the local church I wish to be a part of. Because it gets kind of weird when you say, oh, they know. Do they? Do they? So here's a few warnings uh, as, I, as I land the plane. Here's a few warnings about biblical membership. Please don't judge biblical membership by some abuse that you probably came under. Because oftentimes what I hear is somebody goes, oh, I know about church membership. That's where you have to, and then they say stuff that I don't believe at all. That's not what I believe is biblical church membership. It's not what the elders hold to in this local church. Number two, this is a very serious step that should not be taken flippantly. And I don't think you would take it flippantly. I don't think any of you who are members have taken it flippantly. But I just say again, nothing to be taken flippantly. Number three, join a local church for the right reasons. Ask the motivation why that particular local church, why you would want to do that. Number four, if you find yourself in clear disagreement with the doctrine of a local church, the Constitution, etc., what if you still wish to attend that local church? You are more than welcome. You should attend that local church. I just ask you why you're doing that. And I'm, I'm being dead earnest. I would ask you why. And lastly, perhaps you are fairly new to PCBC and would like to wait a bit, and especially you visitors for the very first time in this building. <laughs> this is actually our preference. It is good to give some time before you want to make that commitment. It is good to do that. Closing point, what is the purpose? Why? Seems a bit complicated. Why, Dan? Why? The goal in this practice is to protect and to preserve the holiness, purity, and growth of the body of Jesus Christ in its local assembly. We are protecting and preserving. You go, whoa, 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 what do you mean? You mean you're actually protecting this church from people? Yep, I am. The scripture says that fierce wolves can potentially come and destroy and ravage a church. And I say, I, the brothers, yes, protection. This body needs protecting. I challenge you to take up your New Testament, take a little highlighter, highlight every time you hear a warning about false doctrine. So as we pursue this lost world and the news of the gospel, we are protected and we are preserved in holiness. Ultimately, we wish to bring glory to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is that what I've shared this morning gives you enough to simply ask the question and search the scripture. If you go, Dan, I'm still not convinced, that's fine, I'm, I'm not worried about that, I get it. I'm thoroughly convinced with all my heart. And that's coming from a background. Church membership was something we did not do growing up. And I'm utterly convinced of it from the Bible, from the Word of God. But if you're not, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but I encourage you to consider what I brought before you and how the body of Christ functions. Let's, let's pray as we come to the Lord's table.